0: Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters podcast, where I'm joined by my wife, Olympic mental performance coach Stephanie Handlin Francie. In these episodes, Stephanie and I have a conversation about the different aspects of what we refer to as Mindset Matters, because we believe that for those who are awake, we are living in and through the most impactful time in history. Your view of the world is the filter for how you will experience the evolution and changing dynamics of it. Our intention is to provide you with ideas, nutritious food for thought, and some tools that you can use to help you in being your greatest self and living your best life. Listen in, enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters. A little bit different approach in this particular episode because I'm joined by a very special guest, a longtime friend of mine. He's also the VP of tech for the Real Estate Investment Network, Mr. Nick Banks, the man, the myth, the legend. Hey, thanks, PF. Man, I'm
1: so glad to be here. I'm so stoked. i like, I feel like I've kind of made the big leagues or something. I don't know what
0: it is. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, mindset matters. You're the big leagues now, buddy. What I
1: what I think of this, you know, I probably date myself, but I think of uh, you know the movie Jerry Maguire, and you know how there was uh, you know the, the star football player, and there's the uh, there's the guy who's interview he who always interviews players and stars, and he makes them cry on on their interview and it's like you know you've made it when you get interviewed by this guy and you cry on his uh on his show that's that's kind of how I'm feeling right now it's like I've kind of made it and Patrick's going to make me cry but usually it's (laughs) probably
0: no no okay so here you are here we are and uh you know one of the conversations that we want to have is and before we get into it hold it before we even get into that conversation Nick for our listeners why don't you give us a little bit of background because as much as you hang out with the real estate investment network team. You kind of run our tech ops, and uh, you have done a lot of things. I mean, it's, you've been around. You've been on the planet for a little while. You've got a background. Share some That's of 25. your uh, background with uh, with our yeah, listeners. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's it's funny because I was just
1: I was just reminiscing a little bit, and again, dating. But uh, you know, it'll be 30 years this October that the Blue Jays won the second World Series. Uh, and why that's important is to me, to me is because that's exactly when I moved out to Victoria. It's one of my first memories of of actually moving from Manitoba out to Victoria. I moved out here to sell real estate. I, was, I did my BC real estate license while I was in Manitoba. Came out here, thought you know that the island's going to be the place to be, and uh, set up shop to start selling real estate. At the time, it was very busy on the island. It was growing, all that sort of thing. I preferred to eat over sell real estate, so uh, kind of promptly uh, ducked out of that business after a couple of years and, you know, selling some houses and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I was really uh, more interested in a few of the technology things that were happening at the time. So I moved over to, to Shaw Cable, spent some time with Shaw Cable and, you know, was there for the rollout of the of the cable modem, like big time, you know, the dot-com bubble, the whole bit. And that really sparked my interest in technology. And I thought, well, this is great. Uh, ended up moving away from, from here and over, overseas, lived in London for a few years and uh as in london
0: was, the uk folks not london, london yeah, Ontario. London,
1: england ran a pr and communications training company over there it was fabulous lots of great travels you know ton of fun but moved back came back to vancouver and uh, worked for an electric car company for a while that was a lot of fun as well it's like you know it was the the beginning of the you know kind of the that whole vibe around electric cars and that sort of thing uh, that went well for a while, and then I saw you know, the, uh, the writing on the wall as soon as Tesla came out, and I thought, oh, you know what, this low-speed electric thing that we were building, almost like a go-kart, that's just not going to cut it. So uh, that company was promptly sold, and, and we moved on from there. And it was around this time that I, I took on one of my first kind of major jobs, and that was director of um, contracts for a bus building company in the Lower Mainland. And really what it was is I was in charge of all of the uh the contracts and executing all the contracts for all of the community shuttle buses, which are the smaller buses in, in the lower mainland, all of the BC ambulances. So I would negotiate these contracts, then execute the contracts. Yeah, big deal. First six uh, you know, six-figure job, super excited about that. Money was feeling like you know, it's kind of rolling in. My dad was finally happy about what I was doing, you know, as I like, felt really great. It's like, oh, he's you know, next in line for the president of this company. Problem was. Patrick, I looked out the next, you know, 20 years, and this company was going to do exactly the same thing year after year after year, just print money, like year after year, not, you know, very, very stable, very boring. But literally, I wanted to stab my eyes out. And then, uh, you know, funny enough, at this same time, I was told, you know, you got to go up to Whistler there's this guy, his, his name's Honorog, and you've got to go up and, and see this guy speak. And there's this workshop that's up in Whistler and it's going to be him. And there's going to be a bunch of these kind of high-end business people, Chip Wilson from Lululemon is going to be up there. And, you know, all, um, a bunch of other kind of, you know, kind of high profile business people are going to be up in, uh, in Whistler. And at the time I was like, I love business, really do. Like, I, I love the deals. I love all of that. I was not happy with the, you know, the lack of integrity, some inauthenticities in the particular industry and, the, and what I was doing at that time. And I was really, really close, you know, really close to, to saying, you know what, that's enough. I'm, I'm done with this business thing. Uh, I'll go become a teacher. I'll teach kids. That'll be, that'll light me up, you know, for the rest of my life. I can, I can do that. But I met this guy uh, and I met these business people up in Whistler and they were committed to doing things a different way in business. So there was this commitment to doing business in a way that, you know, was a demonstration is the words that we were using as a demonstration of what's possible in the world of business. So it's like, you could look at it and you'd have people look at these businesses and go, man, they've got great staff. They're super successful financially. Uh, they're having a ton of fun. What is it that they're, that they're doing that's going to, you know, that, that we might copy and, you know, have that, elevate all businesses through the elevation of, of your business. And it seems like a really great, you know, kind of leverage point in the world of making a difference on the planet. And that's what I was up for. I was like, okay, great. Now I, you mean I can actually do business and I can do it this way. Perfect. I'm in. And then for the next seven or eight years, uh, you know, that's what we did. We traveled the world. We worked with cool clients. We did all sorts of things all over the place. And, you know, it was really a fantastic time. Uh, you might remember some of those times,
0: Patrick. Well, I do. I, and, you know, we did work with you and Anurag. Anurag was kind of our, he was kind of the creative, big visionary guy. You were an ops guy with a lot of talent to support The vision and and businesses in achieving that vision as well as HR and I mean you did a lot of the groundwork in behind the scenes as well as I recall I mean we enjoyed working with you a lot you and I had many conversations in those early years that we did work together and you know in the development now when you look at that business model what you and Rog were up to and you talk about business doing it different you know let's unpack that a little bit I know what you mean but from a listener yeah. point of view, when you say do business a little bit different or a lot different, what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I mean I think and and it's it's you know the, the the arc of the story, you know, honor are going to go our different ways. You know, for a number of years, I kind of buckle down and you know I, I focus on the you know the key core people and businesses in my life. Rain being one of them, of course. And uh, you know, kind of I was literally, I was shattered after it was all over, you know, with honor There's no, you know, that's that's just the truth. You know, honor brilliant, uh, and I have nothing but massive uh you know love and honor him for the teacher and the mentor that he was. And it is hard work. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. I came out of it beat up and uh, you know, kind of circled into that for a little while. But you know. Coming out of that, what I got reconnected to, and this is answering your question, Patrick, I haven't forgotten that, is, you know, some of the core aspects of what that meant and, and what was the magic, like what was really, really cool and exciting about, you know, what it was in these companies that we were doing that made them different. And, you know, what immediately came to mind and something that I kind of let drift a little bit, uh, you know, after that time was this idea of the mission. You know, and I think this is, and and I, you know, I spend a lot of time these days when I'm working with other clients, I do some public speaking around this now, you know, the mission and and really the mission as it relates to a business is how do you want to leave everyone that comes into contact with you as an organization, right, Patrick? So, I mean, you'll remember this, but there was a book written by Jim Collins called uh, Built to Last. And that was one of his original books and one of the first books. And what he did in that book is he looked at companies that had existed over a long period of time, like decades. And inside that kind of set of businesses that exist over decades, not not a lot of businesses exist over decades, right? But these businesses existed for a long time. And he looked at them and he looked for uh, businesses that not only had existed for a long time, but actually had grown and grown exponentially over that time. So they've been super successful. So there's this small subset inside that larger set of businesses that were successful. And he's like, okay, so what what is it that's special about these businesses? And what he learned was that there was basically this ethos, right? And it was a short statement that they had, basically a mission statement, that said, this is how we want to leave everyone we come into contact with. So, you know, for example, and I'll test you. Here here's here's a couple. So, uh here's one, magic fun and happiness. Who do you think that is?
0: Disneyland. Disney.
1: Exactly, right? So, Disney's mission, everybody at Disney knows that their job is to deliver magic fun and happiness. It doesn't say anything about, you know, dolls or amusement parks or um anything like that. It just says your job if you work for Disney is to deliver magic fun and happiness. A street sweeper in the, you know, in the uh Uh, in the amusement park, he sees the child over there crying, he knows his job is to put down the broom, go over there and deliver magic, fun and happiness. Simple, right? He doesn't have to consult a, a policy manual, doesn't have to remember anything. And that, that, you know, and I know, We've had conversations, Patrick, and I know our focus, you know, on values and and, and values are important. Absolutely. And to me, uh, this mission statement is just a summary of those values in some ways. And it becomes a phrase that you can use to capture all of those values that you've determined that you have as an organization.
0: But I think, and just to interject here, Nick, is when we yeah. you use the word ethos, right? And not a lot of people necessarily understand ethos. I'll give it my definition. And I think it's, some version of the Webster definition or whatever it is, which is really it's a statement of character of an individual or an organization. So in other words, your ethos is, I will call it identity. What is your identity? And, and in the context that we give it and use it, it's actually a statement that is intentional. It's what we use in part of our mission and it's what the company represents. It's what the individuals of the company it represent. So ethos is an important word in the context of mission. At least that's how I hold it. And that's how I see it.
1: 100%. Yeah, absolutely. A couple quick other examples, Patrick. To invoke the imagination, provoke the senses, and invoke the emotions of people around the world.
0: Any guesses? Mm, I know this one. I've heard this one. I get this one. No, I'm not going to guess right now. Uh, Cirque du Soleil. Cirque du Soleil. There you go. Yeah. Have that's you seen, good. have you, have you been to any shows? Oh yeah. Many times, many. Right. So yeah. I, I, this one's long
1: in my opinion. Um, you know, I shorten it personally to invoke provoke and evoke really like that's, that's what they're out to do. And, and you know, like you've said, you've, you've been to these events, you've, you've seen them in action. You know, that everything that they are doing is designed around provoking, evoking, and 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 it, you know, that's that's exactly what they're doing. And everything is held up to that. And if it doesn't pass, if it doesn't match up, is it if it isn't consistent with that mission, doesn't make it on the stage. Right. And and the and the really interesting thing about, and you know what I love about Cirque du Soleil is where wherever they have control of their environment, that's being that's being run. I saw them here in Victoria at the arena. And you know, you walk into the arena, and they don't have control of that environment, you know, and, and it's very different. It's like you're going to a hockey game. You could be doing anything in that or in that arena. But the minute you walk into and sit down in your seat and the lights go down, now they have control. And everything from that moment on is, is consistent with that mission. The work, the, the care, the attention, you know, the love that they put into that to have it, you know, come out that way is just phenomenal. My daughter, you, you know, Summer, she's 10 years old took her to it uh she's pretty stoic like you know she doesn't react to a lot she could not sit on her hands if she had wanted to she was up and cheering she was crying she was laughing she was doing it all you know and and you couldn't have stopped her and that's what you know it looks like when when a true mission is being delivered uh inside an organization
0: yeah and when you look at the the, you know the mission you know you have to also you know just from a application point of view if you're a business you also have to be able to create the environment for that so you know the mission becomes about environment it becomes about culture it is you know wrapping your arms around your whole team and have your team actually buy into that why is it do you think and maybe i'm what's your thoughts you know you've done work with small business what's the challenge what's the challenge small businesses face in doing that
1: you, you hit on environment right and and that's that's a key aspect and it's you know kind of the foundational principles even when I'm working with a client before we get into you know talking about the mission or the vision or any of those kinds of things uh, let's let's talk about the environment what is what is the how you know how and, and we I, you know kind of interchange environment and architecture design those sorts of things you know all businesses have some sort of an architecture or a design whether it's been done consciously or not That's up for debate, 100%. But where it's done consciously, like an environment is created, it's much easier to create an environment that calls for certain activities, certain behaviors, rather than trying to manage personalities, right? So, you know, an example of this would be you walk in, and this is just a physical one, but you can extend it. You think about walking into a church, right? And that's an environment. It's got a specific environment. You walk in and it's, it's quiet, it's calm, it's introspective, you know, you're thoughtful everybody whispers, right? That's the environment calling for that. You walk across the street to the Irish bar, completely different environment, right? Like, and now it's calling for, you know, beer and laughter and singing and dancing and all of those sorts of things. So, you know, environments are created and when they're consciously created and thoughtfully and craftfully designed they can they can call for certain different types of behaviors right and you know another example might be something like you're going on vacation you know that you want to uh, go to uh, go on vacation with like a clear head you don't want to uh, be worried about work or anything like that and suddenly you're the most productive human being on the planet like you get so much done. So this, you know, this argument about not having enough time suddenly goes out the window because, you know, you've got this deadline in front of you that says you've got to get this done before then. And again, that deadline is a type of environment. Something's been put in place that that kind of dictates those actions. So coming back to, you know, kind of the small business or the businesses side of things, looking and seeing what is the environment that we're designing, what is the architecture that, you know, that we're creating. How are we building this such that we don't have to do all of this stuff. We can actually rely on and, and work with uh, the architecture and the environment.
0: So let's get, you know, I wonder, I'd like to expand on this a little bit, especially in the small business world, which is kind of my sweet spot of conversation, because I think we would be remiss to not kind of wrap it some other, you know, I guess some other language around it and some thoughts around it because we start, you know, I don't know that we start, but we have a mission. We've talked a little bit about mission, what that is, what that really represents. We talk about the environment. I think there's a really cool example that you gave, which is, you know, you could be walking out of a concert, you walk across the street to the church and it's like, everything goes down. All of a sudden you're going from, you know, screaming and yelling and whistling and singing loud to whispering because of the environment that creates that. And again, you walk across the street to the Irish bar and it's loud and everybody's having fun and partying and doing all the things, but inside of that environment, and this is what, you know, when we relate that to business is that we create mission, we create the environment for our teams to work in, but Within that environment, and this is where we could maybe talk your thoughts on it, there is also a culture that comes and is, that kind of evolves within that, because you know, culturally, you know, what is the, what is the culture of your team? Now, as you know, we have in our, all of our businesses, but certainly within rain, no blame, no complain, no gossip, gossip. Those are all, I mean, we don't even think in those terms anymore. It's not like we have to put in a correction for anybody. Right. So it's just how we operate. And certainly within the other businesses that Stephanie and I own, uh, we, that's very much how we Train staff, create culture. We actually, when we do it, by the way, and this is a how-to for some, maybe some uh, small business owners that are out there. We literally, at least once a year, every year, we sit down with the whole team, part-time, full-time, uh, even contractors, and we sit down and we get together for a day, and we, you know, we buy pizza and we do a whole day of just conversations. But we get to a point where we say, "This is your culture, you know, this is your environment." What does it need to represent for you? And, you know, new staff that come in or part-time staff that are coming and going, they actually design and have a discussion about, well, what did we want the environment to be? This is the footprint we're in. Well, it's got to be clean. People got to clean up after themselves. That's just one example. You know, uh, somebody's got to take over and take charge of making sure that things are straightened out and put away. And so that's part of creating the environment, but it's the culture that says, That's what we want. And who are we as individuals? Well, we're teammates. We always got somebody's back. We don't gossip. We don't complain. We don't blame. Uh, We make sure that if we see somebody miss something, we pick it up. We don't, because that also goes out into if you're front facing with clients, even if you're not front facing with clients. I mean, ultimately, that goes right out to how your clients experience the business. So let's expand on that just a little bit, because I know that you like to talk culture too.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, and really what I'm hearing in all of that, Patrick, and it, you know, it kind of, it may not be as conscious potentially, but I think really what you are talking about is actually it is coming back to a common, the common mission. And and there may not be the actual statement. And in some companies, they may not even know that they have a mission, but it, you know, Jim Collins also said that, you know, you could, when, when a company is, is operating in that level and has something that's consistent that way, Um, whether it's stated on the wall or not, You could be an alien that gets dropped into that company, spend a day there, and know that there's something there. You might not be able to, you know, kind of actually say what the words of that mission statement potentially are, but it's just it's just such an essence inside that company and that organization that it, everything that that gets created from that, you know, in terms of how we interact with each other, what we do, it comes from that central core. And I would, you know, if I was looking at your businesses, Patrick, I'd be saying, well, that comes from like all. Ultimately, as the as the principle, mm-hmm. it's your you know your business is an extension of your own personal mission or calling. We can get to this in a little bit in terms of you know kind of indiv- as an individual because this, in my opinion, applies as an individual as a man. All of that, one hundred percent, right? So you know when you have that that idea of a a central essence that is about being of service, right? And Patrick, I hear you know over the years every single time. Okay, but that's great that we're doing that. But what is this actually? Be, how is this actually being of service to the customer or to the client or to the member? How, you know, and always, always, always coming back to that. Right. And I think also by extension, Patrick, you just finish this. By extension, it's not even only just the, the client or the or the, the customer. It's also our suppliers. It's also each other. It's also uh, you know, other stakeholders. Um, you know, it it it's everyone and I'll go back to the statement it's everyone that comes into contact with our company right how do we want to leave them and then you know again I sometimes it happens well but I think it takes a very solid and uh you know centered grounded focused uh central group with if it's a leadership team and or uh, a principal that's that's got that ethos if you will
0: yeah, and it's important to you know make clear it doesn't happen by accident. You know, I work with lots of small business owners and real estate investors, and as as do you. And what we start to realize is that often uh, we are dealing with small business owners that will say, for example, I got shitty staff. Like I can't find good people, and you know, and or something goes wrong, and it's the staff's fault. You know, the first step in this evolution of running and operating a business in this context is that the owner or the principal, the pointy end of the spear, if you will, takes responsibility. And, you know, I'll give you an example of, you know, recently uh, my general manager in one of the businesses in Edmonton phones me and he goes... And he's, he's been with me, gosh, I think 10 or 12 years. And he goes, I don't know what to do. He says, you know, it's tough getting staff, finding staff, but he says, I got a guy who's like going to be amazing on the sales side of things. Like he's going to rock it from a sales side of the point of view, but he's kind of out of whack. He's a little full of himself, a little ego. I just don't know if culturally he's going to fit. What's your thoughts? And I go, well, isn't this an interesting dilemma? Because. As you and I know is, and I said this to my general manager, I go, the challenge you're going to face, and I know what you're up against, but you're going to bring him in. If you bring him in, you better keep a really tight leash on it because he will become the cancer that breaks down your culture of your team. If you are not very, very clear, because you've got a great team and he does, he's done a great job of building and maintaining that mission and our purpose and the culture, like, it's a rock star team right now and uh, has been for a couple of years. And here we are now we're making a decision, but here's, what's interesting about that. Now he went on to hire him and it's been okay. Not great by the way, but Okay. But he had a conversation with the other team, if you will, to say, this is the scenario. I think maybe what we can do is guide. Now, the point of it is this in all of it, Nick, is that when you bring somebody like that into the culture, they either adapt or they die. They adapt or they have to leave. And they are all also self-filtering. They're going, I can't live it like that. You guys are nuts. I'm out of here. And they actually leave. Now, he hasn't. And he has slowly started to come around because the other team is very firm in their stand you know so if he comes to complain if he comes to blame if he comes to make excuses it's like go away don't talk to me about that shit it's got nothing to do with me get it handled so the point is is that but what because of what we had in terms of the structure and the agreement my general manager phones me he goes geez what do you think you know uh, what's, you, what's your guidance on this? You know, I'm the old guy, so I have to make, ultimately help him make a decision. And, uh, you know, the conclusion that we came to and we're monitoring it. And, and actually we put him on a contract so that it was like we, we give him a contract so that if it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul, you know, see you later. And thanks for that. But so yeah. far, and he's doing exactly what we thought he would do, which is being a super sales guy. And he's actually evolving and shifting into the culture and not having an impact negatively on it because people don't stand for it. But that's how important it is. So I know that's a little bit long winded explanation, she, she, but
1: yeah, I mean, you're, you're speaking directly to, you know, again, two things or a few things that I heard there, Patrick, one is, you know, looking at at someone as, as a higher right always, what I'm doing is saying, you know, can this person deliver our mission? And is this person consistent with our mission? And, and right away, you know, and the third is, you know, are they, do they have the capacity, the capabilities to do the job? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, and and that's maybe sometimes a little less important in some cases, but still important, right? But, but looking at, uh, at that person and then going, okay, it seems like it, you know, it, it was a good interview or whatever maybe not sure, but exactly what you talk about is, is the alignment tool that the mission is It gets in there. It was, you know, again, Jim Collins, who said, if, if somebody is in an organization and they're inconsistent with that mission, they get spit out like a virus. Like, you know, I know that might be a dirty word these days, but you know, he, he, uh, that, that player, it's incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, you know, if if you can't step up to the level and be consistent with the mission that is and the culture that is driving inside that organization, so out he goes, or or he elevates, or she elevates, like they actually step up and into it. We had, you know, and still today, very high, no firing, very little firing. You know, when you when you actually implement. Uh, a mission inside an organization and have that level it's self-selecting just like you talked about nope they just it's like you know what i'm uncomfortable i'm out of here thanks so much
0: let's look at an alternative to what that could have been now if we didn't have that environment if we hadn't created that environment that culture that mission that whole thought process and this individual shows up oh gosh he's a great sales guy hire him the next thing you know you've got four or five or ten or whatever of those individuals because you don't have a context you don't have a framework to hire and the next thing you know what have you got you've got really a toxic work environment now sales may be great is your customer experience great not likely is the work environment do people love to come to work man yeah, maybe they like the competition maybe they like the the drive the sales drive that gets behind it. But mostly there's going to be a ton of gossip, a ton of bitching and complaining, and it doesn't generally last. And if you're the owner of the business, you're carrying the stress of the fires that you're putting out in the HR world. That's been my experience and I've had lots of it over 40 years. So this is such a, and this is not easy. Okay. We're we're saying intellectually and conceptually is easy to grasp, I think, but executing and initiating it takes time. It takes effort. And you're going to you know, have some false starts. You're going to have everybody buy in and then they're going to buy in and then they buy out and then it's back and forth. And it takes time for this to evolve. And all I can say, though, is it is absolutely worth the effort. And for those entrepreneurs, solopreneurs or Uh, Small business owners that are saying, how the hell do I get off the tools? How the hell do I, you know, get out of 14 hour days and fighting fires? You have to create it. You have to work backwards from what the outcome is that you're trying to achieve. And sometimes it's challenging, especially in an environment or an economy that's questionable, but you can't seem to get good staff. You know, that's the other side of the question, you know. 100%.
1: 100%. I mean, you know, the, the star salesperson is, is always, you know, kind of the, the first test often on, you know, how committed are you to your, uh, to your mission statement? Like, really, you know, let's, and, and, and you know, it's, it, it's a bit of a typecast, but that star salesperson who, you know, the gossip, you know, has accounting upset, has operations upset, you know, because they're just laying waste to every kind of policy and procedure to get the sale and, you know, and, and the numbers are there, but the damage that's being done, you know, looking at the ROI on that, uh, you know, is that person consistent with, with the mission? Yes or no. And it's like, you got to, you got some difficult choices to make. Usually it it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly. and And you go through 36, you know, hours of tough times and then you're, you're back, you know, kind of to the same where you were before that. So.
0: But historically, I mean, and you and I both got lots of stories around it. When you clean out that type of an individual, when you let them go or they self-filter, whatever that might be, uh, it leaves room for either somebody else on the team to step up in a powerful way and or it leaves room for somebody else to show up that appreciates the values, appreciates the work ethic, appreciates the working 100%. environment of the culture. And so as much as we fear losing that star salesperson, you know, I, I just believe that over the years consistently I've seen is that that empty space gets filled by somebody who you want on the team.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's. uh I don't know. It's it, it's almost a truth at this point, you know, given the number of times we've probably both seen it and and seen it happen and and the positive that happens as a result of making sometimes those harder decisions and
0: choices, right? And and you've got business guys, though. I'm telling you right now, you got a small business owner. And I'm going to give this as just a crazy example because people don't think you can do I know many don't know this. So I happen to know a local contractor here has 15 trades guys on his team. Now, if you have any clue about Trades guys, they can be a little rough around the edges. There's no doubt about it. Trades guys are, it's a culture, it's a trade, but it doesn't mean that they're, you know, they don't want to work in a great environment. Anyways, he pays well, they love working for him, but he gets really frustrated with just how they operate sometimes. Spent a few hours just working through this whole concept of it's your environment, you love what you do, you love your work, you take pride in it, you're professionals. What do you want it to be? How do you want it to show up? Like, what is the environment that you want it to be? Who is the, the, you know, what are the kind of guys that you want to work with? Anyways, long story short, if, 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 if 10 was crap, or one was crap, we'll do it that way, and he was operating at a three, you know, just in a few hours of working with them, they're at, he says, probably a six or a seven, relatively speaking. He says it's like on a vacation now, relative to what it was, the fires he was fighting, and to your earlier yeah. point, Nick, the uh, personality management that goes along with that.
1: Yeah, the, the, and, and this leads into kind of a next point around the mission is is the power of the mission as a decision-making tool. You know when you've got uh, you know that kind of that essence throughout the organization that this is how we operate and and it's very you know kind of well thought out and it's 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 throughout the whole organization. you actually can hand off a little bit m- more to the to the rest of the team in terms of you know that if they know that my mission is to deliver, let's say, you know magic fun and happiness. And, and the whole team knows that that's what their job is to do then then you don't have to micromanage like they'll they'll make decisions and if it's a customer focused you know like maybe you're a you have a wait staff or you're, you're you know kind of in a restaurant or something like that and you know the the the, the wait staff come up across various things with 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 them uh, clients and that sort of stuff when you know that that where they're going to go if they come up against something is how do i leave this person with magic fun and happiness you don't need this big thick policy manual like that's what i just keep coming back to right it's like they you can you don't you know will they get it wrong potentially sometimes but at the end of the day you know it's like when when that's in and you're hiring consistent with with the mission then you can let go of a lot of stuff like you can, you can really let your mind go to the the other things that might be more important to you in the business, other than micromanaging and watching very closely.
0: You know, I'm really excited about this, and uh, because we got to wind this down a little bit or start to, um, I'm excited about it. So literally, we just had our first shift. Coaching program, and so for some of the shift participants, if you're hearing this, this is some of the work we're going to be doing. So get ready to get to work. Uh, they don't necessarily know that right now. They do, but not necessarily. But this gives you a little bit more meat on the bone of some of the things that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks and months. You know, Nick, I know that you and I have talked about doing some work together in terms of small business owners, and and primarily looking and saying, well, do we want to do some men's work? And although we didn't get into that conversation today, in Depth. Do we want to kind of touch on that thought process about you? Do a lot of work with men, and uh, yeah. because it's you know, let's face it, you know, we look at it and go, you know, men operate differently than women. It's not one that's yep. right and one that's wrong. They're just different. Yep. And so, yep. how do we, you know? And and by the way, in this uh, shift program through no major planning, I got to tell you a story. So we had a number of people registered and of the registration, there was three or four women who last minute either canceled and or said, nope, I got to do later. So I ended up with a group of men in the shift coaching program, just saying that that's cool. So we now have a a kind of a men's program anyways, but that's aside from what we talked about. I just think it's, kind of funny how things (laughs) show up and manifest, but because that was, there's a lot of intentionality around uh, what we set out. You and I talked about it and that's, uh, what's your thoughts when you talk about working with men, what do you do?
1: Yeah. I mean, again, it takes a little bit of context and a little bit of backstory, but you know, again, coming out of uh, you know, the, the work that I've been doing and like you, Patrick, have done a a lot of personal work, you know, group work, all of that sort of thing. Um, Had a, had a child, and really, I think what happened for me personally is that my focus shifted from, you know, kind of my mission, my purpose, my calling, like that bigger, how how do I as a man want to deliver what I have to offer in the world, which I think is really a key fundamental thing for the masculine to pay attention to is like, it's more than the family. It's how am I going to make a difference out in the world? What's bigger than me that I can dedicate my life to? And I changed, uh, you know, when I, when the child came along, when summer came along, my focus went completely inward, I think. And, you know, it completely focused on the family, completely focused on my, you know, my wife at the time, all of that. And it really destructed, you know, in essence, it really brought down the family, you know, because in so many ways, like I say, you know, my my focus as a, as a man, and this is my paradigm, is that as a man, I should be outward focused and focused on the on the bigger picture, on the bigger on the world, on the planet. What can I be doing to make that difference out there? And uh, through that, I, I i one of the things that came to me is that I'm not doing any men's work. You know, I don't talk to other men. I might talk to you, Patrick. You were probably you know my mentor my my guy to talk to when when I needed a guy to talk to. But that's that's not enough right? As a man, um, you know, mostly as men, we have friends and buddies and bros, you know, we'll go and drink beer and talk sports and, you know, that kind of stuff. But but we don't have, uh, in my opinion, a lot of opportunity, or most men don't have a lot of opportunity to share, to really talk about what's going on for them with other men. Um, And it wasn't until I started exploring some of that that I went, oh, yeah, right, of course, this is what what's been missing. This is something that, that, uh, that I really need to bring some attention to, you know, I have, I have no problem talking to women and hanging out with women and having great women friends and all of those sorts of things, but that, that's not, that's not it, you know, and, and women have friends and they talk about these sorts of things and they, they actually, you know, as in a, just going through days and their, their life for the most part, they're, they're sharing at deeper levels with each other right? And men just aren't doing that.
0: Well, I, you know, this, you know, and sometimes, you know, Stephanie, you know, we've been hanging out for over 30 years and she'll get into something with me and I go, you know something, sweetheart, you got to go phone one of your women. This is not a conversation with me. Um, I, right? I, you know, and it's not, I'm not blowing her off in terms of, okay, go, you know, I don't want, I don't have time for this. It's just the wrong conversation for me. But to your point, interesting. I, I don't want to quote this. I should have I'll get stats on it, but it's really amazing that, you know, you talk about men hanging out with men, going for beer, shooting pool, whatever that story might be, watching sports. But here's the thing about it is statistically, it's it's shocking, actually. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I'll just throw some on the table. It's like men after 40, like 80% of them do not have a best friend. You know, it's, right. it's like they're that shocking. You know, they they, you know, 20% have one best friend. Very few have a group of men that, and here's the other thing about it. Listen, you and I know, I mean we could go hang out with guys anytime we want and we could watch hockey or sports or we could do all sorts of guy things, go golfing, but to really be able to be in a space where you can have a meaningful conversation, talk about what's really going on, be authentic in that and even be probably a little bit vulnerable. Well, I've said the word vulnerable and intimacy to um a group of men in terms of a coaching program and it's like Four of them get embarrassed by the words. Like, it's like, yeah. what are you doing? You know, like it short circuits, men's brains because they've never had the space to do that yet when they get comfortable in that space, it's like, I don't ever want to leave the space. I need it. And it's an interesting time in the world, I think as well, Nick and you and I both know this, and we're both kind of passionate about working with men and doing men's work because of just our backgrounds and how important we know it is, But I know that on the island in Victoria, uh, you've got a small group of men that you work with. Yeah. I think you were—is that yeah. still—is that still carrying yeah, on? Yeah,
1: no, no, no. Yeah, absolutely, hundred um, percent. So, I, you know, out of that, I started exploring, looking at what are the different opportunities to actually kind of get intentional about meeting with men who are intentional about meeting. Right? You know, kind of latched onto a couple of groups, and and ultimately, what I've ended up now is is here in Victoria, I lead a, a group of men. What is it about? Uh, there's 13 of us now, we meet every Tuesday, three hours, every Tuesday. And really the, you know, the, 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 the point of it is, is to give men an opportunity to share. And like, you know, that's really all it's about. It's like, okay, what's going on in your life? You want to talk for 20 minutes about, you know, kind of what's going on? You know, there's some container types of, sure. you know, kind of criteria, right? Like we're not going off the, you know, off the, off the reservation here, but, but at the end of the day, and, and just to to your point, once men get a taste of it and start to get, you know, apart from three guys who have moved over the last year or so, no one's left the group. Like it's just like over three or four years or whatever, it's just continued to grow. There's now five of those groups here in Victoria. Uh, there's a bunch in in Vancouver. This particular group uh, is, is growing growing. You know exponentially. I you know it's interesting, Patrick, and and I want to make sure that you know sometimes people talk about men's group, and first thing that comes into head is like pickup or you know red pill or you know kind of toxic and all of these sorts of things. And this is just so far yeah, not, not <laughs> what we're talking about. Um, you know, it's just like really is like about and and honestly, Patrick, my my motivation in so many ways, and you've got a daughter, is the is the daughter, and so for me, it's like. I want to work with men so that men can raise sons uh and or be you know the men the powerful men that we need right and and that's where this this really comes from and the other side of it is you look and and you were talking about statistics i don't know what the statistics are but the men committing suicide you know in their in their 40s and 50s is just like kind of off the charts yeah and and in uh, in my opinion much of it has to do with them being uh you know alone and not having people to talk to
0: well we're gonna wind this conversation down you and I can talk about this a lot I want to say thank you for being a guest for those of who, yeah. you who might be interested in finding out more about this I'll put to, actually reach out to CEO at raincanada.com send us a note and we'll get you lined up with Nick or we'll tell you about what yeah. we got in the uh, in the works if that's of if this kind of work is of interest or this space is of interest to you uh, CEO at re Nick, I'll leave the last words to you.
1: You know, Patrick, I think we end up, we're talking about the same thing, whether we're talking about businesses or we're talking about men's work, it really is about being of service. It's about, you know, kind of, how can we elevate, how can we, uh, you know, kind of do the right thing in so many ways. Right. And it's about being conscious and awake not woke, but alive and, and, and kind of, you know, conscious again, is the kind of the word that I like and, you know you you to think that you can silo business from kind of you as a man or (laughs) you as an individual and have you as an individual siloed from your business i promise that you know if you if you actually spend the time in this work doing doing it kind of looking at it in this holistic kind of fashion there's nothing but success and and elevation to your business and your life that's all
0: Yeah. Invite everybody to consider that there is not life in business. There's just life. Be your greatest self, live your best life. Nick, thanks so much for joining me on the Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters podcast. And uh, I think Stephanie's back next week. Thanks, Patrick. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at canadacom I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick O.